0: Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to our first episode of season twelve. Wow. Twelve seasons in, and as of today, it's just past Thanksgiving. And I am definitely thankful for you to return to my humble little abode for another season of horrific tidings. I'm your host, Otis Gyre. And in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Dale Thompson. Tonight, you'll hear tales of podcast premonitions, foolish files, malevolent mirror entities, and textual troubles. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories— If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. (laughs)
2: Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify!
0: We begin our evening with a tale of an unfortunate soul who's come upon something very mysterious in his life. You see, he's a podcaster, with a show telling tales of dread. He has just come home to his cat to settle in for the evening. Hey, sounds a little bit too familiar for my tastes. But unlike certain other podcasters he's about to find out that some stories will not be denied their rightful broadcast. Without further ado, I present to you Untold Tales of Horror, now told. Devilish dolls haunted houses, ghoulish ghosts, freaky frights, dreadful demons, blood-sucking bats, Peculiar pumpkins, bizarre bridges, fiendish phantoms, atrocious apparitions, maleficent monsters, wicked witches, and all things that go bumpin' tonight. Welcome to Untold Tales of Horror, Now Told. I'm your host, Alistair Mortimer Cainswright. Tonight we'll tell the tales that no one's brave enough to tell. There was a pause, and an eerie background music swelled then faded. If you believe in the University Halloween Massacre, or that perhaps there are secret tunnels running below your university that house the dead, the ghosts and suicide victims hanging in your university hallways, or that stone statues come alive at night to eat students, then this program is for you. Alistair ran through his podcast within his normal time, and with a grand send-off, I hope that was scary enough for you. Until we scare again, this is Alistair Mortimer Cain's right, signing off. Alistair closed down his door with a sensational feeling of satisfaction. His stories this night were his own creations. Sometimes, when he had been less than inspired, he'd read submissions from other writers. But this night, he read two of his own horrifying. The night closed its darkness around the college town. Hard-pressed to see, Alistair guided himself home, noticing the flank glimmer of artificial lights from windows and street lamps. But overall, the town was asleep, idle, and in a dormant state. Alistair seemed to be the only one who was making his way home. After an exciting night of horror stories told exclusively by him for his many podcast listeners, had no immediate plans for bed. He was a nocturnal creature, loving the nightlife. His thoughts were on the response he'd get from his show. The show went out live, and people were free to respond as the show developed. Later, he'd posted on various other sites which would promote his work. His voice was in high demand. Many broadcasters looked forward to his work because it brought a much larger audience. Alistair looked forward to reading his comments after the show. It was a way for him to wind down. Once he reached his humble abode, which was nothing like his audience likely believed he lived in, he first scooped up his hairless Sphinx cat, Abaddon, and made his way to the kitchen. There he heated some milk and a dish, poked his finger in to make sure the temperature was acceptable, and then let his kitty go at it while he booted up his computer. Alistair poured himself a large orange juice and retrieved a bag of salted pretzels from the cupboard before plopping down loosely in his favorite broken-in leather chair. The monitor lit up, and the screen was inundated with message after message commenting on the stories he had just read live on the air. He read with great satisfaction. It appeared it was another hit. His mind whirled ahead, spiraling deliberations while musing over what was next. He'd written many haunting stories of thrilling terror, but should he exhaust them so quickly? He probably wouldn't read so many of his own in a row so as to string them out a while longer. But the one thing the listeners were unaware of was Alster was dying. The doctors had given him six months, but he had defied every prediction and was on 11 months plus. If he were honest, he had never felt better than right now. If he could freeze time, this would be the instance when he would make it stand still. He understood the odds were stacked against him. However, he was quite a fighter. He was the sort of guy that if you hit him and knocked him down, you prayed he was out cold. Otherwise, he was going to get back up and give you a real beating. Alistair read every comment and personally responded to his subscribers. A couple of hours later, he and Abaddon shoveled off to bed. He was too exhausted for a second shower of the day. He'd take care of podcast stench in the morning. Sometime in the night, he was wakened by a pinging sound. He could have sworn he had muted the sound on his computer. He mustered the strength to get out of bed and mute the volume. He would not be able to bear the incessant sound all night. As soon as his head hit the pillow, he was out like a light. Bing! Again, the computer made a terrifically horrible sound. Mumbling to himself, he stormed to the computer like a drugged zombie who had just lost his cool. Not playing around this time, he muted the volume again and took the computer to the kitchen, far from his bedroom. Hopefully, he'd not be disturbed again. Returning to his bedroom, he brushed Baden off of his pillow. And crashed into the bed with a thud. Abaddon was not bothered; he purred quietly in some feline dream world. Alistair jerked violently out of his deep sleep and didn't know why. His brain was scrambled, but he quickly gathered his senses. He now realized something had given him a fright. There had been an uncommon sound from the kitchen—a commotion and disturbance like a giant gong being smashed. Logically, he imagined a pan was unbalanced and slipped off into the sink or onto the floor. He hoped, if it was the floor, that the towels would not chipped or cracked. Staggering through the dimly lit hallway to the kitchen, trying to avoid stepping on a Abaddon, who was dodging under his heels. In the dark, he stepped on one of the assorted cat toys lying around. It just so happened this was the hard toy with the prongs that stuck out. It didn't hurt as bad as the Lego block, but it still smarted. He threw out a sleepy expletive and motored on toward the kitchen. Alistair flipped on the light. The kitchen looked normal. He saw nothing out of the place. Oh, wait! His kitchen door leading to the back garden was a tiny bit cracked open. It was minuscule, hardly noticeable, yet he detected it. A chill ran down his spine. He was overflowing with anticipation and consequential excitement. Somewhat afraid, Alistair made a quick scan of the kitchen to ensure he was positively alone. If anybody or anything had entered the house, they would not have made it any further than the kitchen, he assured himself. Going to the door, his ears were perked up for any noises. Slowly, he opened the door wider and turned on the backyard light. It was a powerful light that lit his narrow yard and shone as far as his rear gate, which led out onto the main street. Six-foot hedges ran down the sides of his yard, thick and impenetrable. But there, pressed in the grass from the gate to the kitchen door, one set of footprints in the dew-covered grass. Footprints led to the door, and there was no evidence of them returning to the rear gate. How odd, he reasoned. Barefoot and only in boxers and a T-shirt, he opted not to check the gate just yet. He closed and locked the door, still spooked and nervy about the door. He opted to get dressed, put on his shoes, which were in the bedroom, and investigate the backyard a little closer more scrutiny with great suspicion holding a Louisville slugger baseball bat firmly in his hand, he entered the backyard he measured his shoe size with the imprint in the grass whoever was lurking in his backyard had at least a size 12 shoe he imagined it was one big fella once Alistair reached the gate his misgivings were confirmed the gate was ajar he didn't like this he did not like this one bit. He speedily secured the gate and turned to go back to the house. But something peculiar took place that gave him pause. The Kitchen light flickered in sequence several times, and at the end of the blinking the backyard light was extinguished. Holy mother of pearl, he said to himself, he stiffened in place with a sensation not much different than rigor mortis. Alistair watched the window of the lit kitchen. He was not going back in there until he was sure it was safe. Gathering his nerves, which were severely frayed at that point, he approached his house with a sense of dread and heightened caution. The kitchen light remained illuminated, and this gave him some assurance. Working his way up to the window, he sneaked a peek. Initially, he saw nothing. All looked as it should considered the odd light episode with no other evidence of eldritch happenings the only plausible explanation was the bulb in the backyard well I must have shorted out with his trepidation easing he wanted to guarantee his safety so he opted for another look through the window just to ease his fear what he saw nearly made him pass out he was in the kitchen he saw himself with his back turned toward him, standing at the table. The person hovering over his kitchen table looked identical to him. They were even dressed like him. What the devil? The grip on the baseball bat loosened as a palsy terror swept over him like a hot towel and bore down into the pit of his gut to the point he swayed with nausea. He leaned on the house with his shoulder and attempted to will strength back into his rubbery legs. Alistair was not necessarily a brave man. His courage had never really been challenged before. Oh, he stuck up for himself in school when bullied. But this was something otherworldly. How could it even be possible? How does something as bizarre as this even occur? This was just like the unutterable secrets he wrote and did voiceovers for on his podcast. He had to be imagining. Of course, he attempted to dissuade himself. Maybe he was still dreaming. rational answer would not come to him. He knew it, but nothing came. The only thing he could convince himself of was there was a duplicate of himself haunting his own kitchen. The yard lit up, not with light from the back porch light, but with a resonating chatter that could only be called Alf Aziz, which H.P. Lovecraft defined in his writings as that nocturnal sound made by insects supposed to be the howling of demons. The definition was birthed from the ruins of Babylon out of the empty space of the amorphous crimson desert. Alistair had read all of Lovecraft's materials. Lovecraft was locked into secrets of grace older than mankind sounds Alistair was tortured with were far beyond the sound of common insects and bugs that crawl and fly at night. He pondered, what if Lovecraft had the phrase Al-Azif defined incorrectly? What if he meant something altogether totally different? Possibly he was misunderstood, and it meant Al-Tajid, the blasphemy, or Al-Nazif, the bleeding. Alistair was unsure why these thoughts were penetrating his mind and obscuring his thoughts, along with breaking his concentration. He had to focus. What does this, any of this mean? What does it have to do with me? He forced himself to premise his thoughts, and once he had control of them and built up the boldness, he concluded that the kitchen and the unwanted document warranted another glance. With a waning audacity, a glint inside the kitchen. Seeing no one, he slowly raised and surveyed everything in view. He held his position for at least sixty seconds, until he was confident the coast was clear. This is when he let out a sigh of relief, and his anxiety began to settle back into his comfort zone. With his equilibrium restored, it was time he took his chances. With his mind, free from fearful exile, he walked in through the back door into the kitchen and took notice of a manuscript on the table. It didn't appear overly thick, but there were several pages. He tightened his grip again on the handle of the bat near the knob end. With his free hand and still eyeing the doorway from the kitchen into his hallway, he dragged the manuscript closer to him. He had to sit down. His adrenaline had uh, depleted. The manuscript was possibly animal skin and had a note attached to it. I am you and you are me. There's only one way to be free. Read this work on your show. We must let the whole world know. Time is short, but there's still a chance to avoid the war of circumstance. Evil is rising. It is already here. Perfect love casts out all fear. No time to think or meditate. Do this now before it is too late. Alistair reflected. How want original. A two-year-old could have written that. Lame, lame, dull, he grimaced. The Manuscript was face down, so he turned it over. The title emasculated him for a brief moment. The title was burned into the cover. Monsters are real. Abandon all hope. The Truth, written by Alistair Mortimer Kainswright. He paused, gasped. I didn't write this. He huffed aloud in denial. That was the moment the nightmare began. He heard light feet running, scampering from the far end of his hallway, coming toward the kitchen, growing louder as they approached. Alistair's vigor weakened even more. A dull throb forced pressure upon his temple's, making him lightheaded, almost as if a smothering hand was suffocating him. His nose was smashed, and his lips could not utter a scream. His desperate cries were muted by a moist, enormous, invisible hand, and he was pulled to the towel floor, with his strength exhausted dried up as if all resilience had been sucked away by a scythe. Alistair was unable to defend himself or resist. Eventually, this horrifying episode subsided. Alistair had no answer to what he had just been put through. His head hurt, his back ached. He was unsteady on his feet for a few moments. He poured himself a glass of orange juice and sat contemplating the manuscript before him. where had the footsteps gone? Nothing appeared, nothing at all. Monsters are real. Abandon all hope, Alistair thought. Simpletons. Pure and simple, feigning stupidity. With a strong aversion and detestation, he was tempted to toss the manuscript into a fire pit. Although he loathed it, he could not say conclusively whether the events of the night were real or imagined. In fact, the manuscript did have his name on it as its author. Curiosity alone compelled him to read it. The manuscript was redolent of an unhallowed age, as dusty as the antediluvian period, as vividly abhorrent as this night had been. He thought himself pretty lucky to be caught up in the unexplained. After all, his podcast promoted this subject manner. He never believed while working in his studio domicile that one day something of this magnitude would manifest itself. He was being revealed the actuality of what he was creating from his mind. But He could not shake the sight of his own double. It was entirely too unexplainably freakish.
1: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
0: Opening the manuscript, whose pages felt brittle but did not crumble, he found the first entry, a poem without a title. There are creatures that creep and crawl. They are the beast inside us all. They turn and twist our simple minds into animals of every kind. From the darkness in great numbers they come, to devour the many, to curse the sum. From lofty heights they build their nest, and no man living shall find his rest. From the earth, from deep underground, They're so ordered by a demonic sound. Rises up slowly to the unaware. And in a hush, you find yourself down there. (laughs) Rubbish. Pure rubbish. Alistair groaned. Chapter 1. Turn to page 13. Short chapter. How very peculiar, he thought to himself. He flipped the pages to page 13. Embedded within the page, within its own secure indentation, was a ring of some sort. The only words on the page, in heavy black ink, read, Put the ring on your finger. I'll do no such thing. He protested and closed the manuscript. Manuscript flew open on its own, phantasmically reshuffling the pages rapidly back to page 13. The color of the words on page 13 now had chromatically changed from black to red. Ludicrous, he denounced, and slid his chair away from the table. He stood at the table looking down, his back to the window. Tap, tap, tap. The sound was behind him. Unwittingly, he turned his head to see what might be making the sound. To his transfixed horror and surprise, he saw self in looking in. A cold sweat ate at his chest and clawed his forehead. How could this be? The hymn that was outside was shouting something indistinguishable. Alistair tried to understand, to read his lips, but he couldn't interpret what the other self was conveying. Although reeling in tacit terror, he knew there was only one way to get the answers. He raced across the kitchen, stormed through the back door, and had every intention of nabbing this lookalike. But his twin was not at the window any longer. It, well, it defied all reasonability. How could have he gone so quickly? Even more puzzling was when Alistair, who was now outside, looked in through the window. He saw himself standing at the table where he had just stood. Oh, this is impossible. Absolutely impossible. "'Logical. His twin was doing something. "'Alister craned his neck to see. "'The twin put the ring on his finger, and in an instant was gone, vanished away. "'Alister darted back into the kitchen. His twin was gone. "'But the manuscript remained, turned to page 13. "'But the red letters were no longer red. "'The letters were charged onto the page of the book, "'as it delicately burned with a match.' The ring was still lodged in the page. He fought against the temptation, but gave in and removed the ring from the page. He examined it, looked it over, and found an inscription which read, Isaiah 56, 9. Every beast of the field come to devour every beast in the forest. Alistair remained mystified. With much hesitation, but compelled by a force too strong to resist... He placed the ring on his finger. As the ring slipped tightly around his finger, he spun toward the window. His twin was there again. He was smiling and holding up his hand to show Alistair that he too had placed the ring on his finger. He became instantly light on his feet, and everything in the kitchen became transparent with a translucent radiance. Seconds later the house was gone from around him everything had disappeared. Unable to make any determination of what had occurred, he considered his ominous situation carefully. His surroundings were as barren and bleak as any, an utterly vast and innominate desert as any he had ever seen. There was nothing or no one for as far as the eye could see. The immemorial air was inexplicable. At first, he choked, but after a couple of hard swallows, his throat adjusted. His next thought was to remove the ring, and hopefully this would return him home. But no matter how hard he tried, how he twisted and tugged on it, the ring was truly stuck. But this is just great. He didn't even have his baseball bat. It must not have made the teleportation, or whatever it was that had just transpired... Manuscript lay at his feet. Brilliant, he sarcastically said as he picked up the papers. He turned where page 13 should have been, but there was no longer a page 13. This just keeps getting on better. He was amused, but not laughing. One more scan of the colossal, tenebrific surroundings proved futile. Carrying the manuscript under his arm, half afraid to read anymore... He began to walk in the way his feet were pointed. He figured, since he had no compass and there were no sun, moon, or stars, he had one in four chances he was going in the correct direction. There was no road, no path, no footprints, no signs. Not a single tree or landmark. Truthfully, he could have walked a hundred miles on this flat plateau and might just be walking in circles. Alistair did not want to languish forever in this faceless realm. He estimated he'd been walking for close to 30 minutes, when in the very far distance he saw a blurb. There was something ahead that resembled a smudge on the landscape, and the smudge appeared to be coming toward him. Without realistic options, he continued his approach. As the two drew closer to one another, Alistair recognized the person. It was that scoundrel... That had been in his kitchen, his twin. Now for some answers, Alistair said. The Two men mirrored one another. The twin looked behind him and began to run. To Alistair, it looked like a panic run. Alistair then had the presence of mind to take the hint. He glanced over his shoulder only to see his worst nightmare. Giant, black, hairy-legged spiders were gaining on him. This arachnid cluster had been in the thousands, and each spider as big as a grown man. The lion behind him had turned dark, and the spiders were consistently and uniformly converging on his position. Alistair ran like he had never run before. All things which wiggle, crawl, scuttle, or jump had joined the spiders in pursuit of Alistair. He looked straight ahead at his twin, who was coming just as hard and fast. Alistair did not see what his twin was running from. He detected nothing alarming within his field of vision, motivating him to run. Outside of reason and causation, overhead, the sky lit up with lightning streaking across the sky in zigzags. Then the lightning strikes began. Alistair felt like a moving target. As the train was so level. Neither of the two saw the enormous crevice between them. They made eye contact right before they both plunged into the unknown. When Alistair hit the water below, he flailed wildly, not expecting the cold explosion his body felt as it submerged. Miraculously, he bobbed back up to the surface and splashed exhaustively to the shore. But the shore was no place to be. Sands were alive with devilish creatures beneath the surface, whose slimy tentacles emerged to wrap their suckers around him. Alistair fought for his life, popping the suction cups loose and staggering into the dense, sweltering vegetation of an unexplored jungle. There was no retreating. He could not begin to determine what hemisphere he was in. For all he knew, he could be anywhere in the world or outside of it. He was immediately accosted by living vines and aerating roots which sprung from the ground, crisscross patterns over and under in knots, causing treacherous footfalls. His feet were being poked, prodded, groped, and grabbed at. He found it most difficult to battle all of the elements, taking high steps and shaking loose his impediments. He wondered what had happened to his twin. Did he drown? Succumb to the jungle? could not disregard the feeling of ineptitude. He should have tried to save him. Matter of fact, he never actually saw him fall. He only remembered looking into his own eyes. Where was the manuscript? He had lost that, too. The jungle humidity slowly drained Alistair as he traversed the unknown. He figured he had been in the heat for about an hour or so, when the most unexpected sight appeared directly in front of him was his twin.' "'Not knowing what to say, "'Alister said the first thing that came into his mind. "'What's happening?' "'Not expecting a reply, his twin answered studiously. "'We are happening, brother. "'We have the rings. "'Only one of us is going to make it back.' "'Why is that? "'What is this all about?' "'Alister got the sense his twin knew more than he did, "'and he was determined to get some answers.' "'There's only one of us. There can't be two. "'We both have the ring, so we are both candidates to go back. "'There's only room for one.' "'His twin was very matter-of-fact about the whole thing. "'Who determines who goes back?' "'Alister inquired. "'We do.' The twin came closer. "'And I am torn between guilt and malignity. "'This makes no sense.' "'You're not real. I am Alistair Gainsbury. "'I don't know what sort of game this is, but I'll be going back.' "'I am you,' reminded the twin, casting a formidable expression. "'I don't think so.' Alistair defended his position. "'You are not human. You, "'You were created somewhere in space, "'behind time in unbounded outer regions. "'I am here because you hesitated in putting on the ring.' you'd only put on the ring, I would not have been needed. Needed for what? Alistair needed clarification. He desired real answers. One of us must read the manuscript over the air. It's the only way to warn the world of what's coming, the impending storm. The world must prepare itself. There's a storm of barbarism, viciousness coming to the earth, podcast will reach those who can make a difference. This ring is our forged protection. Only one of us can wear it. Alistair wasn't comprehending the full scope of what his twin was saying, but he was certain if only one was leaving, it was going to be him. So you say a storm is coming. Is it extermination? A slaughter? Alistair didn't want to believe the worst, but Nothing in these last few hours was believable. The Annihilation is going to be on an apocalyptic scale. I would not have been needed if you had not hesitated to put on the ring. The warning must come from the podcast. Alistair noticed the twin wasn't coming any closer. What if I agree to go back and read the manuscript? what does that leave you, since you are only a shadow of who I am? Alistair suggested. A shadow? I am what you were not. Why do you believe the Pantheon brought me into being? Asphathoast is called before to prepare the world. You're speaking of an abomination. Asphathoast is a grotesque mockery of everything lawful, moral, and godly. You're talking about a world gone mad. You're not trying to warn people. You're trying to induce chaos, Alistair said boldly. With illaudible sarcasm, the twin said, You are not as stupid as we penned you. Penned me? Yes, we wrote the part you are playing, his twin said flippantly. He added, You can't kill an elder god. They live beyond the concepts of time. You attack an elder god in one place, he already exists in the eon, so he lives on. They are beyond us. You're not real. I've done my homework. I can simply remove you from the plane of my own awareness. And once done, you and these false gods go bye-bye, Alistair said. Sorry if I seem apathetic, but you do not know what you're talking about. Alistair's twin began to flank his position in an offensive move. Alistair shuffled his feet, mashed his twin step by step in a clockwise direction, watching him intently. You can't win. I'm the genuine Alistair. The gods need me, not you, Alistair challenged. I'm here because they don't need you, the twin rebutted in an orgulous pride. I can defeat them by my willingness to read the manuscript, which contradicts their decision to bring you into existence. They need an authentic reading of the manuscript, and you cannot do it. Unquestionably, a veritable representative is what they desire. A carbon copy won't do. Alistair came straight at the twin. His other self fell among the protruding roots, which clung to him and bound him tight. No! I can do it! "'I want to exist! I am you!' "'The twin went into some grotesque convulsions "'as the poison of the roots, also known as Gifblar, "'attacked his nervous system. "'Alister watched as his short-lived body "'was dragged into the canvas of the jungle floor, "'and in this self-imposed grave he would stay, "'rendered powerless. "'Alister could not be sure what happened next, "'but in an instant... His consternation and dismay was gone, and once again he stood before his kitchen table, looking down at the grimoire manuscript. He looked at his hand, and there was no ring. Quickly, before the powers that be changed their mind, and he lost favor, he turned to page 13. There was the ring. In black letters it read, Put the ring on your finger. Emblazoned with a mental plan, without faltering, he removed the ring from the book and slipped it onto his finger. He was more than convinced that this was the correct resolution. He prayed this would restore order. In that moment, he never felt more alone, abandoned as a cold depression oozed its way in, an irrevocable uneasiness to the forefront of his conceits. He wore the ring until his next podcast, where he introduced the show as a must-read and to take heed words of this story are true. At last he read, "'Beyond the reaches of the stars, "'an army is forming from the outer worlds, "'calling all to gather into one place for the invasion planned, "'predestined, foreordained, and ordered. "'Cosmic winds will cause the armies of beastly discontent "'to the door of the host, "'who will not resist but submit to the indwelling of the gods.' They are no longer fading thoughts of the past, but are now presenting themselves upon the stage of humanity. That is not dead, which can eternal lie. And with strange eons, even death may die. Prepare yourself for the death of death. The podcast continued without interruption. And in concluding, after the manuscript had been read in its entirety, Alistair added... Everything I read tonight, I am asking. No, I am imploring you. Remove those gods from the plane of your awareness. And the warning which you have heard will no longer and no more than a dark whisper be that brushes against your cheek at a gravesite. The ravens are gathering. The wolves are descending from their mountain refuge. But you and I can hold them at bay. I have done my part. I have fulfilled my commitment to read the letter from the Elder Gods to humanity. Now, will you join me in the resistance against the horde to come? The best way to kill a god is to stop believing in it. Deicide is an omnipotent power that we all possess. Join me in defeating death with our best weapon, human incredulousness. Alistair stood from his podcast chair and walked to the bathroom. He removed the ring he had worn from page 13 and happily dropped it into the toilet. With a flush, he sealed humanity's fate. I hope you enjoyed Untold Tales of Horror, Now Told, by Dale Thompson, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Thompson. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash t h o m p s o n. Our scare-inducing friend would be very happy. Not only enjoyed the tales he wove this evening, but also if you enjoy your music on the heavier side. Be sure to check out the Dale Thompson channel for more. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave him a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that Otis sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Like I said thankfully that doesn't hit too close to home. I had a twin once, you see, but he didn't vanish into a jungle of the mind. I keep him much closer to home, And he's still alive, though if you saw him lately you might suspect otherwise. In our next story, we have a gentleman who's found himself in a bit of a crisis, and his mind is a little on edge. Unfortunately, He also now finds himself alone in his apartment, a very unwanted guest. The guest appears to be winning. Without further ado, I present to you, Buzz, Buzz, Buzz. A man named Harmonious True stood at his upstairs apartment window, staring out at the city confronting him. He wiped the grime from around the frame of the window, flipped the handkerchief over to clean the white side, and wiped the glass in a circular motion, removing the caked-on dust and condensation. That's better, he reassured himself. Harmonious was a middle-aged man born into a hippie family, thus the name Harmonious. But not all was tranquil in his life. The name was a contradiction, an antithesis of the actuality and conditions in which he was living. Consequently, there were chasms of discrepancy all through his life, of disquiet wanderings. He had, somehow, and he didn't know when things changed for him, become incompatible with the world. When the virus came for all of humanity, he wrote it off as just another new flu, in sequence with the flu seasons before it. Initially, he refused to get the vaccine. Certainly, he was as healthy as anyone and believed his immune system could fight off any contagion thrown at him. He went against protocol. He listened to the breaking news on the TV, along with reading his morning paper with the headlines proclaiming a pandemic. As a city bus driver, Harmonious knew what was coming next. There would be a mandatory vaccine campaign. This launch would inundate his every waking hour with commercials and ads, forcing everyone to comply with the mandate, especially targeting those working in hospitals, healthcare, care, and city workers, such as bus drivers. When the mandate came out, the report was actually, as Harmonious had figured, was faced with a dilemma. He could refuse the vaccine and be stood down from his job, or he could reluctantly take the jab and keep his job. This bothered him immensely. He was feverishly torn between losing his job or putting an untested remedy into his bloodstream, which tormented him. He'd lay in bed at night, knowing the headline for the jab was approaching. He intensely researched the vaccine on the internet, and almost everything he found was pro-jab eventually stumbled onto a site called Before You Take the Jab, There Are Some Things You Should Know. The site appeared to have been put up by health officials from varying practices who were warning people not to take the vaccine. There were personal testimonies on the site where individuals explained the side effects and complications they had suffered after receiving the first dose. Yes, that was correct. The first dose was a prelude to a second dose, and there were rumors there would be follow-up boosters as well. This was the most horrific thing he had ever read. The site also claimed that there had been sudden and unpredictable deaths in perfectly healthy people attributed to the vaccine. Harmonius gazed over the troubled world from his apartment window. Life had not been good for Harmonius up until this point, His wife of three years, whom he had hoped would have been by his side for the rest of his life, had packed her bags and had gone, leaving only a note on his pillow. He took full responsibility for the split-up. He was hardly ever home. He failed to give his wife the attention she deserved. She was his first and only marriage, and they never had children. This was a lot for Harmonious to process. He was at a point in his 40-something years where he couldn't imagine things getting any better. His dreams had been quashed, and now he was alone, null and void. That's how he was feeling. The disparity was real and hung over him, like a suffocating dormant beast just waiting to emerge, hungry from hibernation. His thoughts were becoming sporadic. He prayed to defer such imagining, Yet in a relentless barrage, they would not yield. Day and night, this opposing force assaulted him, whispering, telling him he was no good. Things would never get better, and he had to decide. Not wanting to confront his demons at present, Harmonius pulled himself away from the window. He went into the bathroom. He believed a long, hot bath would help him relax. It was right then when something in his head snapped. The tub had not been cleaned in ages, and the verdigris ring of filth was encrusted all the way around it where the waterline had been. He would have normally not been bothered by this. There was a simple solution just clean the tub and pour a fresh bath. Harmonius couldn't do this because his thoughts were slipping and he was going haywire in his head. This is when he made up his mind. Through the confusing complexities of rambling thoughts, he left the apartment and joined a queue for the jab. In his mind, his irrational mind, he believed he should do the opposite of what he would normally have done, and this would be like a reset. He'd become an exponent of the system. He felt dirty, like someone who had been buried alive. Being broadsided by the pandemic, Harmonious sensed a binding, nothing any less than grave clothes, entombed in utter darkness. He succumbed to the overload of pressure from announcements about the virus and the vaccine. The media's push to get everyone vaccinated and boosted had worked its incantations on him. Like a man tranced and bewitched, he made his way to the health center, stood in line... With an appalling face mask on and waited his turn like cattle to the slaughter he thought to himself he was now becoming part of the mnemonic coalesce who simply do as they are instructed the jab was no more than a pinprick he hardly felt it at all he was rewarded for his obedience and was given a fountain pen and a t-shirt his drive home was when he first noticed the sight of the jab was extremely sore. He supposed this was normal and was merely a consequence of his submission. When he returned to his apartment, he had himself a glass of cold milk. In normal unrest, he found the creamy substance and consistency of whole milk as a comfort. As he drank the last drop, he caught the sound of a buzzing noise. It was a high-pitched, endless whirring sound vibrating profanely somewhere in his apartment. Harmonious hated annoying flies, swarming gnats, bombinating mosquitoes, and anything else which buzzed, swooped, dove, or bit. It was bad enough he had capitulated and made a rash decision to get the vaccine. Now he had to deal with a persistent insect annoyance. He dug around in the cabinet under the kitchen sink until he located his fly spray. It was practically empty, but he'd do what he could to combat and ground the unrelenting uninvited interlopers and intermittently reestablish a no-fly zone. He just had to find the pestering offender. It was not after his scent, or he would have already had encountered the intruder. What did this buzzing menace desire? Without any attempt of concealment or evasion, Harmonious strode into the kitchen with can raised, his eyes scanning the room as his ears became attentive to every little sound and nuance in the room. Dutifully, he made his way around the kitchen table. He heard nothing yet. This was just the way it was. Once a person retrieves the can of fly spray, somehow the fly senses the danger and lands outside the scope of the conscientious pursuer harmonious to dead quiet, submissive, considering any and all vibrations. He heard nothing. He became oblivious to time, and it wasn't until a neighbor cranked up music from the apartment above him that he snapped out of his intense concentration, having failed in the hunt for the flying creature. Suddenly, he was reminded that earlier he'd been jabbed with a vaccine and his shoulder deeply ached. It was unfortunate, inauspicious. The pesky fly could not be immediately located. Harmonius was not feeling well. He coughed a couple times from deep within his chest, and it was beginning to ache all over, especially his back. It occurred to him that he also had a headache. It was one of those lingering kinds, ever-present, and only growing in intensity when one thought about it. He would try not to think about the pressure in his head. Earlier, he'd been quite hungry, but now the thought of food made him ill. He didn't want to add nausea to his other symptoms. He thought it best to move into the bedroom. He had every intention of having a shower, but now he could not be bothered. His only concern was to find his pillow. No sooner than he had lain down, did the buzzing vibrations of something small and troubling enter his room he leapt up from his bed like a man electrified. I got you now! Still holding the can of fly spray, he sprayed a long mist as he turned in a circle, hoping to pollute the air with such poisonous saturation it would be impossible for anything flying, crawling, or squirming to live through the toxic fog. The airborne particles filtered throughout the room, which gave cause for Harmonious to break into a coughing fit. It was during this uncontrollable attack, as he sucked in air, something zoomed into his mouth, lodging itself in the back of his throat. He forced himself to cough with more thrust from his lungs, but he was unable to dislodge what he certainly believed to be the wretched gnat. Struggling and gasping wildly, he began to panic. He attempted to flush the vindictive insect loose by gargling violently from the water from the ensuite. He coughed, gargled, spat, and gagged until the insect was projected from his throat. He couldn't believe his eyes. It flew away across the bedroom and out through the door into the hallway. Harmonius went in pursuit of the foul thing, holding the can of spray out in front of him, prepared to fire it again. Once he lost sight of it due to the rays of light filtering in through the half-closed blinds, he stood frozen in one place once more, ever so determined he was going to end this insect's inscrutable existence. His eyes went from left to right, desperately trying to pick up the sound. Then and there, as if it had cloaking devices, the gnat landed on Harmonius's cheek. He stumbled backward as if he had been pushed by an invisible force, slapping at his face in hopes of smashing the life out of it, He checked his hands for dark smear marks and proof he'd killed it, but his hands were clean. Bizarrely, he could not deny what had happened next, but he felt it crawling, tickling inside his nose. Suffice it to say, this caused immense worry. No, 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 he repeated as he shuffled off to the bathroom in the hallways to grab some tissue. He blew his nose so loud It could have awakened the dead, but the tingling persisted. Oh, you gotta be joking. He was talking out loud to himself in a fevered pitch. He twisted a tissue the right size to go in and up his nose. He inserted it on the side he suspected the insect of having gone. He pushed the tissue as far as it would go and he began to twist it. When he removed it, he'd hoped to have found the remains of the bug, but there was nothing. He blew his nose again, and again, and again. But the little beast went further back into his nasal cavity until he got the previous sensation in his throat. He was in great despair when he came up with an outrageous plan. He would spray his throat with the fly spray, killing the tormentor, then simply spit it out and rinse his mouth without swallowing any of the hazardous substances. Hacking and coughing, he went to the bathroom, spitting and clearing his throat aggressively. While looking at his alarmed face in the mirror, with tears streaming down his cheeks, he turned the can of spray toward his face, opened his mouth, and pushed down on the spray cap, which activated a burst of spray to the back of his throat. His mouth and throat were filled with pyrinthrine. This was much worse than the tickling from the antenna and legs of than that. Coughing severely, he went for more water. His throat began to close on him. Still, with a presence of mind, he rinsed and gargled with deliberate rebuke. Once he was sure the dangerous substance had been washed out of his mouth and throat, he hurried to the kitchen where he poured himself a cold glass of milk. While guzzling it down as if his life was dependent, His hopes of salvation from what he now considered a predator was dashed when the disgusting, eternal pursuer swarmed by his head. No more spray. Time to use old-fashioned ingenuity, he said to himself as he went to the top of the refrigerator and surreptitiously retrieved the electric fly swatter. This was a handy device that ran off of batteries. Once an insect was swatted or landed on the metal mesh, With a fly-sapping racket, it would be fried like Ted Bundy. Harmonious struggled to breathe, but he maintained an airway and assumed his respirations would return to normal shortly. Again, like a needle on a scratched piece of vinyl, and the same notes keep repeating with static and reverse reverb, Harmonious went on the hunt. More determined than ever, he had ill intentions, Kill, 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 kept pulsating through his already sore head. He searched high and low, but had no luck finding his intended victim. The sickness, along with his own self-imposed, foolhardy spray to the back of the throat, had worn him down. He poured himself the last of the milk. As he savored the creaminess and cold, the flying devil finally reappeared. There it is. Buzz, buzz, buzz. The sound was not direct. It was as if it were coming from every direction. As he spun around with a fly racket in hand, his right ear tingled with a vibrating quiver. Pulsating madness ensued. This microscopic insect hummed and then whirred as if it were making its way through his ear canal, climbing and whirring, climbing and buzzing. Afraid he might push it in further, he resisted the temptation to stick his finger into his ear. Harmonius went to the kitchen where he concocted a recipe of warm salt water. His hope was he could drown it. Once he had the temperature just right, he used a marinade injector, which is used to impregnate meat to create a moister piece of meat. The devilish insect was about to meet the wrath of Harmonious. As the gnat maneuvered through his external acoustic meatus. Harmonious shook his head crazily. The feeling inside his ear was becoming tortuous, and the sound was intensifying dramatically. Carefully inserting the syringe into his ear canal, he slowly pressed the plunger gently, and his ear became warm. He tilted his head to one side to allow the salt water to penetrate the entire canal. Once he was satisfied, he'd fully drowned anything in the ear which should not be the He tilted his head back awkwardly the other way to allow the salt water to trickle out. He looked in the sink, hoping to see a drowned black speck, but to his disappointment, he had failed to kill it. Strenuously, he jabbed his index finger into his ear and carelessly probed his ear. He became more vehemently enraged as no gnat was extracted. He swore he heard it humming in his brain, stinging every thought, taking up a fortification where it could not be touched. Harmonius was torn with emotion. He shouted, What is it to become of me? He tore his own hair and rocked back and forth nervously. He moaned as if someone in the clutches of anguish. What will be my fate? Get out of my head! He groaned peremptorily. To his chagrin, the little monster, in contemptuous fashion, exited his left ear and buzzed off into the other room unscathed. His deliberate alacrity for survival was surmounted by the fear of the unknown, believing the gnat was following his every move. Harmonius gathered his senses well enough to give chase, spouting raw expletives and shrieking his cruel maledictions He was fluent in his railings with poetic cursing and added vile contempt for all the insects of the world. He stumbled over an ottoman, tumbling to the floor. The fall was excruciating, for when he landed, the hand he was yielding the fly racket in gave way at the wrist, and he heard a loud pop. He added more, never heard before vernacular, to his spitting rant. Taking a moment to examine the wrist, he wasn't sure if it was broken. He still had flexibility in it, however, and the pain was comparatively extreme. Regardless if fractured or not, he had the gnat on the move and could not be bothered with first aid. He still had his left hand. His right hand, superfluous at best, was now out of the fight. With fuming intolerance, he stormed into the room at the last known location of his arch-enemy. He focused took control of his breathing and listened earnestly to every sound, noise, and vibration. His shoulder, where the vaccine injection had been given earlier, was now at a fever pitch with pain. His entire body, not just his wrist, was aching as if someone had an inner tube connected to his joints and was filling them up with air. Where are you, you filthy, flying, obscene orc? He looked behind him expecting another sneak attack. He was consumed with killing the gnat to capture it alive and to pull its wings off slowly from its body. He relished the thought of putting it through ungodly agony by breaking each of its six legs, leaving it immobile so he could laugh in its face as it was dying. He wanted to make it suffer. He'd leave it there in its final moments refusing to put it out of its misery. What incredible satisfaction he'd feel to have this victory over this demon larva. He wouldn't stop there. He'd hunt down the rest of the swarm, wherever they were hiding. Dirty drain lines, decomposing matter and potting soil, find their slimy nest haven, and eradicate them all. He now longed to stop their infestation before it manifested. First, he had to smash this single one who had called him to battle. He was not amused, but maybe the insect was, and this really fueled his fury and caused him to seethe with rage. For a long period, there was no sign nor sound of his enemy. Harmonius took a seat after surveying the room and closed his eyes. He was sick, tired, in pain, and uncomfortable in his own house. He needed a few minutes to gather his thoughts, reconsider, regroup, devise a more effective battle plan. He thought to himself he had... Had he not gone today and gotten the stupid vaccine, he probably would have been having dinner about now instead of chasing a flying insect around in his apartment. It was good to just sit and chill for a moment. He was becoming relaxed and thought about giving up his pursuit... But as the comfort of the chair began to take him away, something landed on his cheek. He slapped haphazardly at it with his good hand. His eyes were open again. Looking at his hand, he saw that he had missed it again. He still sensed it crawling on his face, though. With both hands, he clawed recklessly at his cheeks and temples. It had slipped into his eye. The fright was unimaginable. The gnat was crawling behind his eyelid. He pushed his knuckle into his closed eye and gave it several twists, but he found no relief. Terribly worried, he went directly to the kitchen sink and began to liberally splash handfuls of water into his eyes. He was unable to wash the gnat away. He soon discovered his worst nightmare realized. The nasty thing had managed to crawl behind his eye. He was not in pain... "'as the back of the human eye has no pain receptors. "'Yet the irritation was vexing. "'He rolled his eyes around, seeking relief. "'He wiped his eyes repeatedly, "'but the gnat was firmly glued to the back of his eyeball. "'Several times as he struck his temples "'and his forehead with the palm of his good hand, "'yet he could not dislodge it. "'His sanity was rocked. "'Normalcy was not even a question.' At this schizophrenic moment, he returned to the bathroom and looked at himself in the mirror. This was his first glance at himself, since he and the gnat were at war. He let out a shrill, feminine sound much higher than his actual voice. Mingled within the unmanly scream, he crowed and extended, No! His eyes must be playing tricks on him. This was not to be believed. Harmonious' face was an insect in appearance. Not totally transformed, but a distortion of who he was. His eyes had become fiery red and bulbous like the no He leaned into the mirror and gazed upon the uniquely grotesque face he was wearing. What in hell? His voice collapsed, but he still had an airway just large enough to breathe. With his swollen tongue taking on a new shape, he attempted to swallow, but he was unable to produce any saliva. Oh, great Evans, he thought to himself. Caught up in nervous reflection, he'd been immersed in a miserable state. His condition could have only been described as unmistakable agitation brought on, but restive prostration, making him insoluble. Unable to reconcile what was taking place, he allowed his faculties to scramble into a mess. The sheer irritation gave way to lonely frustration, haunting him like an unwanted spook. He'd never felt more helpless and inadequate than in this disastrous moment. He remonstrated, but what use was there to argue with himself, or anyone for that matter? Frozen in an action, due to confusion and consternation, he was made sick by his appearance. It did not get any better. Peering deeper into the reflection in the mirror, he saw waves in his eyes, like rivers of larvae in an enclosed world. Then dismay bent itself into the mirror, suspect of all he was seeing. In his eyes there was a transparency, and through this thin transparent veil he saw the world of gnats behind his new eyes. Clutching his face, the hair on top of his head began to drop into the sink. Within seconds, he'd unthreaded every last fiber until he was completely bald. He'd never seen himself hairless before, and the image in the mirror of something ghastly with compound eyes rolling weirdly in his head, constantly swishing with fire. Oh, this could not be him. The marrow of his bones liquefied. His blood ran blazing hot, and cooled to an icy freeze. His lungs expanded at such a terrific rate, he heard his ribs snap and break. He noticed the change of his arms, and his legs were cracking and morphing beneath him. Immediately, he tore off his clothing and now naked, viewing himself in full. He was growing another set of legs. Wings covered in fine hair were now protruding from his neck. He tried to yell out, but instead of sound coming from his mouth... His newly formed wings rattled and then buzzed. His internal organs, along with exterior features, were reconstructing, and the emergence of insect-like earmarks defiled his human form, leaving what little humanity that was remaining mortified. He wanted to be outraged, yet he could not find those emotions nor characteristics which would cause him to protest. The shameful discomfiture and the defiance were no longer there for him to identify with. No longer was resistance an option. The decrepitude and advanced disrepair became obsolete, in effect. He no longer counted his misfortunes. His eyes were being enlightened to his new identity. No longer was he a human form, recognizable. He had no empathy, compassion, or altruism. His apathy, if he ever had such a thing, was no longer a moral compass to follow. His countenance appeared undernourished, yet he did not have an opinion, nor did he judge himself as beautiful or ugly. This fresh, nematocoran body was now his. He touched his antennas. Marvelous feelers, he tried to say, yet his ever-growing wings whirred like spectacular musical vibrations. The insect he'd become recognized its ears were down from the head on the thorax, and he could hear with his tympanal organ very well. He had cognition, but not consciousness, as humans know it. The last of Harmonious dissolved. Unable to stand upright, he steadied himself on six legs. His balance had shifted, the equilibrium dissipated, and his head became dizzy as if he were spinning, on a merciless, perpetual carnival ride. Every care of man tormented with the threat of unknown viruses, worldwide pandemics, untested vaccines, the possibility of losing his job, and the world in general uh, made no difference any longer. He left the bathroom and continued to test the durability of his wings. They were loud and instinctually. He had the drive to fly. He made his way to the window, which overlooked the city. He was on the fifth floor. Opening the window, a brilliant, clean breeze blew in and surrounded him, like an old friend willing to take him higher. Stepping out of the window, he stood on a narrow, ornamental ledge that ran the circumference of the building. His wings were buzzing like a motorboat engine when he dropped from the ledge. Harmonious was not seen jumping from his but someone heard the splat when his body hit the pavement below. In minutes, the street was in chaos as people gathered around the dead man's naked body. The police, fire, and ambulance soon arrived, followed by the coroner. It was ruled a suicide. The investigators found nothing suspicious, nor a final letter from the deceased. There was evidence of rotted fruit in the kitchen bench and an unusual number of gnats swarming inside the apartment. I hope you enjoyed Buzz, Buzz, Buzz by Dale Thompson, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website, just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Thompson. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. Should you like to hear more ghoulish tales of things beyond imagining, of terrors deep within the minds, spiritual battles of the soul, or more reasons not to wash your mouth out with industrial chemicals, Dale would be happy to provide the thrills. But if you simply prefer some rocking tunes, be sure to visit the Dale Thompson channel on YouTube for more as well. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. As a reminder, if you do decide to give tonight's talented author stories a read please consider leaving him a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. And be sure to let him know you heard about him here on this program, and that Otis sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine. and I'm pretty sure that would be much appreciated by Dale as well. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark especially as we enter our twelfth season of frights, fun, and sleepless evenings. We have more planned for you in the next season, so stay tuned as we weave in and out stories of ghouls, ghosts, monstrosities, tortured psyches, and even the occasional madman or two. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page, or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. Find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases, and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series or story time dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, stay spooky. Get some sleep. If you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today. To learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Chieri. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at... Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review in a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at chillingtalesfordarknights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway?
1: (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs